Welcome to the Data Scientist Podcast with Dr. Stylianos Kabakis. Dr. Kabakis is a data scientist, statistician, and blockchain expert with a mission to educate the public about the wonderful capabilities of technologies like AI, data science, and DLTs. These technologies have the potential to transform the world, the economy, and our lives. However, there is too much misinformation around tech, and so most people are just confused about what is true and what is not. Whether you are a CEO, an entrepreneur, or just an enthusiast, the Data Scientist Podcast helps you separate reality from hype. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Data Scientist Podcast. I'm very happy to have here with us today Cliff Lewis, an organizational and business psychologist from South Africa. Hi, Cliff. How are you? Hi, Stelios. I am great. Thanks for having me. Great. So would you like to introduce yourself and say a few things about your work? Sure. Yes. So as you mentioned, I'm an industrial psychologist, IO psychologist. We're called different things in different countries, but yeah. So psychologists working in the organizational setting. I am from South Africa. My accent might sound a bit funny. That's because I've lived in various parts of the world. I am in South Africa at the moment, but I'm educated in the UK. I spent some time in the Middle East. I've done quite a bit of work across the pretty much broad span of IOP and HR, training and development, change, leadership, diversity, psychometrics. So I've got a bit of everything in my toolkit. At the moment, I work as an independent consultant. When I'm able to choose my work, I really love working with startups and small businesses. My main focus at the moment is to give smaller businesses and startups access to people science that's usually restricted to big companies with big HR departments or budgets for expensive consultants. So I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion from a wealth inequality perspective. And I think supporting small businesses and startups and giving them access to these people tools, these sound scientific people tools is a way to address that. And so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> I can tell you a whole lot more because I've had the privilege of having a really, really interesting career up to this point. So I'm happy to elaborate on anything if you want me to. Yeah, this sounds great. So recently the Tesseract Academy did a survey on the importance of organizational culture in the post-COVID world. Mm -hmm. And you were kind enough to also provide us your input and feedback on that. So thank you for this. And one of the answers was that the majority essentially of the respondents believe that organizational culture is going to become more and more important over time, especially in this new world. So this mm. report was done a few months ago. So obviously the war had already started, the war in Ukraine, but inflation was not as bad as we realized later on, yeah. which means that we were about to exit the COVID you know, world, even if COVID is still around, but at the same time, there are some new challenges in the economy. So in light of that, I was just curious to hear your opinion around what you're seeing in this space, because it's clear that, yes, the majority of professionals believe that organizational culture is becoming more important. So it would be good to hear what you've seen as in, do our organizations really doing anything in this space? And how could the organizational culture actually help navigate these challenges? Because it's no longer just COVID or hybrid work or remote yeah. work, it's the recession. <laughs> it's going to be many different things. Yeah, see, that's a difficult question to answer. I suppose I should start by adding the qualifier that organizational culture, although it's really important and fundamental, unfortunately, it's not a magic wand to fix everything, although you can definitely make a massive impact by looking at organizational culture. 
And I think the shift and the importance and the focus on organizational culture in this post-COVID world and the future of work that we've been thrusted into, is that a word? Thrusted? <laughs> Thrust into? <laughs> is the importance of looking at people, focusing on people, people's needs, people's well-being. Organizations for decades have been saying, oh, our people are our most valued asset and not really delivering on that. And I think the pandemic has kind of forced organizations to really, you know, bring their side and meet their responsibilities in this area. So in terms of how we can address culture, there's a lot of different theories. There's a lot of different approaches. Every consulting firm will have their own approach to addressing culture. So what I do when I consult on the matter of culture and also when I teach on organizational culture, I use a mix of different approaches because there isn't really one size fits all. But one thing that is really core and anyone who's worked in culture would have heard of Edgar Schein's model of organizational culture. And that really forms the basis of my thinking when we talk about organizational culture, because it separates this sort of fluffy concept that's hard to pin down into three areas. So it's based on at the bottom. So he conceptualizes it as a triangle. And at the bottom, the big part is our worldview and how we think the world works and our assumptions. And then on top of that, our values. So what we value, what we don't value, what we value more than others, that's built on that. And then at the very top, you've got organizational artifacts. These are things that people typically associate culture with. Uniforms, the way of speaking, how we conduct our meetings, how we brand ourselves, all of these types of things. and where organizations often fall short is they either focus on the artifacts and they don't really consider the values and the assumptions, or they say these are our values and that they don't translate that into artifacts. So it's literally just words. And in almost all of the cases, the foundational issues of worldview aren't considered. And to be honest, I'd understand why, because it's really difficult when you've got a whole organization, imagine you've got a multinational organization with thousands of employees. Not all of them are gonna have the same worldview. Not all of them are gonna share necessarily the same values, especially, and that's not even speaking about when you consider things like national culture and how that impacts organizational culture. If you look at things like the Globe, the work done by the Globe study, they consider organizations in societal context and how that social context influences organizational culture. So it's very complex. It's very sticky. It's not one size fits all. And I think what has become really, really important and highlighted and emphasized post pandemic is we need to really look at the human component. We can't just say these are our values. We are people centric. We, you know, we value people's well being and then, you know, have that as a value, but not translate that into policy and practice and all of these things. And also to consider fundamental worldviews. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. And that being said, do you see organizations like actually taking any action? around that because it's clear that most of them agree that yes that's an important topic 
and it's going to become more important over time. But actually, like pretty much this model you described, do you see them converting words into artifacts? Uh, or is it mostly all talk now? And I don't know whether there are any differences in terms of the size of the company. I would expect yeah. that maybe larger organizations, they care more about this than in early stage ventures, for example. Listen, I don't want to put my clients on blast, but unfortunately, yes, it's mostly talk. If you look at it's almost become a kind of a joke every year during Pride Month, we talk about rainbow washing, like mm, we've had yeah. whitewashing and greenwashing when we talk about sustainability, where the organization is all about pride and inclusivity and we value diversity. But then after Pride Month, you know, after we've slapped the rainbow logo, you know, onto everything or, you know, the way we recruit, the way we evaluate performance, just literally the way we just live our organizational life doesn't speak to those values that we, you know, lifted up so high during this month. And you see that with not just when it's Pride Month or Black History Month or, you know, Women's Month or anything like that. It's just, just generally as well. Unfortunately, I'm not seeing enough traction. People are starting to be more critical and to say, okay, these are your values. So show me the receipts. How do you make them real? People are definitely speaking to it, you know, digging a bit deeper, not just taking things at face value. But I've yet to see, I mean, if you just look at some, I've worked with organizations who I've been instrumental in writing wellness policies, because mm -hmm. obviously of my background, I've contributed to wellness policies. And it covers things like you shouldn't be working more than X hours. You shouldn't be working at a certain time of day. You should, you know, you should even be online. And literally after it's been implemented, people just work over the amount of hours that they should. They're online when they shouldn't be online. Mm -hmm. So there's a few steps forward, but then a few steps back as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting because going back to Tesseract Academy's organizational culture survey, nearly 90% of the respondents said that our organizational culture is a key factor in ensuring employee wellness. So this was either agree or strongly agree. Mm -hmm. And around 75% said they had left the previous company because of the culture of that company or that this was at least a key factor. So obviously this question doesn't specify whether this was about the salary or again, wellness, other types of practices, discrimination potentially, but it seems that employees at least are very aware of how this is impacting them. And maybe they realize that what's like normal or not normal in a specific industry, company, sector, etc. Mm -hmm. That essentially some of the behaviors, some of the biases, some of the bad behaviors they might be experiencing, mm -hmm. it looks like employees are aware that this is the result of culture and not something which is just to be accepted. I think when this survey was out, we were still in a very strong job market, which still seems to be the case. But I can't help but wonder, while the Fed is trying to crush the economy and increase unemployment <laughs> in order to achieve this magical 2% interest rate, as right. things might become harder for some workers. Like today, I was reading that Meta is planning to lay off many of its employees right after Elon Musk fired half the workforce of Twitter on Friday. Yeah whether employees will be will still say that organizational culture is very important. Like look, Elon Musk, for example, he's trying mm. to impose a certain work culture on Twitter, mm. 
but they might not be able to say, yes, I'm leaving the company because of that, because they might not have as many options, mm. which doesn't seem to be a great situation to be in. What are your thoughts on this whole situation? Well, I don't know too much about Meta's work environment with their culture, but I can comment on the recent events with Twitter. So mm-hmm. this massive event of Elon Musk laying off a bunch of people, I'm not convinced that that was just at face value, just what happened. He just decided, well, I need to cut costs. So I'm firing a bunch of people. I think it was quite instrumental in some other plan. So I think there's some, without sounding like I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat now, and I don't want to sound like conspiracy theorist, but I think there's a bit more going on there. What I will say is I don't think that that is representative of an organizational culture. One, he's new. So someone that just steps into an organization and makes changes, that's not culture. Culture is something that's that's embedded. Mm. And then I wanted to comment on something else. And now I forgot. <laughs> I forgot my train of but, thought when I started talking about Elon but, Musk. But don't you think that Elon Musk is trying to impose a culture? Because like on every news article I've read, he's like, oh, Elon Musk believes that you should work 80 hour work days and never work from home and all that. So I felt that maybe he's trying to do something like that and say, look, this is the only culture I can accept in my company, you know, Mm. like relentless working. But I'm not sure if it's going to be something which, you know, works forever and really depends on their aspirations and goals and life circumstances. (laughs) See, this is the problem. He might be, you might be right. He might be trying to impose a culture, but here's the thing. Mm. You can't impose a culture. Mm. Culture is something, whether it's a company culture or a national culture size it's something that develops organically sure Mm. you can shape it you can steer it in a direction but it's not something that you can just come in and impose it's not going to happen the way you want it to happen this is Mm. actually now i'm reminded what i wanted to mention when you were referring to the survey where people were saying i've left an organization or i've joined an organization due to organizational culture What's difficult there is, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many different models that you can use to address organizational culture. So someone saying that they left an organization due to organizational culture, it's a very personal choice. It's based on a very personal experience Mm -hmm. because what that person may have been experiencing let's say workload because that's typically you know how many hours we work what time of day we work do we have work-life balance that's a very common culture issue topic so one person might be very individualistic might be very ambitious might not have a family or anything like that that requires their time and they might love an organizational culture where performance is rewarded continuously you know It's fine if I don't have a work-life balance, but at least I know I'll get my commission or my promotion. So someone like that might love a culture like that. But someone else who maybe has people that they need to take care of or someone who maybe have previously suffered from burnout needs to be very careful about their work-life balance so that they don't experience, go through that negative experience again, because something like burnout can be very easily triggered. So for someone like that, that might be a culture that they leave unfortunately it's not black and white and it's again i sound like a broken record it's very tricky it's something that we need to admit and make peace with that it's something that we can develop and guide and structure in terms of how we address it but there isn't one formula to fix all of it it's not the same for every company it's not the same for every individual and we have to make peace with the fact that sometimes we might not get it right 
and it's something that develops organically. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that makes the situation worse <laughs> or if that's some enlightenment. But that's the situation. I think that's key that it develops organically. And talking about this, what do you think companies can do in order to facilitate a shift in direction? Whether they're small companies, let's say startups, or mm. bigger organizations. But I would expect the requirements and the do's and don'ts are different mm. in each case. I would expect mm. size and stage of a company to be a very important factor in how you deal with this topic. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say is make sure that you're not just slapping some values onto your company culture statement on your website or anything like that, just because you think it's the now like diversity and inclusion. I'm a diversity and inclusion specialist. So obviously I appreciate a focus on diversity and inclusion, but it's very much a fad at the moment for large organizations, especially multinationals to say, oh, we value diversity and inclusion. So I would say as a number one, this is probably a pie in the sky idea, but be real about what you want to achieve. Like if you want to make sure that your organization is compliant. So in South Africa, because of our terrible past that we have under apartheid, we've still got, even though apartheid hasn't been a part of our lives formally for like 30 years, we are still seeing the effects of the marginalization, the economic marginalization. So we have official mechanisms in place to ensure that organizations don't maintain those divides. So we have to have certain representation of racial groups, gender groups. It's very broad. So it's not just looking at race, it's very broad. So if your company wants to make sure that it's compliant, if that's the real issue, don't tell me that, you know, you care about diversity because at some point it's going to show. People are going to see in your artifacts that we mentioned earlier that we don't care about diversity. What we really care is about complying with what the regulation says in any specific space, perhaps. So that's the one thing I would say is, is be open and transparent about what you want to achieve and how culture fits into that and how we can address those achieving those things through culture or how we can get them to harmonize. Don't just think, okay, what's the best PR? Because often that happens. People just use culture as a PR exercise. And then be consistent. Make sure that you build it into your infrastructure. Make sure that you have a policy. It speaks to your strategy. And then all the way through to literally how people conduct their day-to-day -day business, from reporting to resource allocation, it all has to be in sync because you might be real that you care about people's well-being. You might have a well-being policy. But then when we look at monitoring and reporting, there's no reporting saying how many hours people are working overtime because that should be an indication that people aren't sticking or managers for example aren't holding their teams accountable for not overworking or it might be an indication that our resource allocation is not in line with our culture so alignment transparency being real alignment these are all key factors that i would if i was consulting on a culture project for an organization that i would start with yeah, the, all these are great points. And I think they're definitely points worth expanding upon. And if anyone is interested in talking more about this, just uh, make sure to drop us an email at our website, desert.academy. Cliff is one of our external partners and we're hosting workshops on organizational culture. And right before we go, maybe Cliff, would you like to share some URL, website, LinkedIn, where people can learn more about you? 
Sure, I've got 10 million projects all going on at the same time. So the best place to find my stuff is probably on Linktree. So I think the way that Linktree is written, so it's linktr and then the dot ee. So Linktree with the dot before the two e's and then forward slash Cliff P. Lewis with one F. So it's C-L-I-F P. Lewis. And I'm also on all socials, Twitter, Instagram. I'm Cliff with one F P. Lewis. On my link tree, you'll be able to find some of the research that I'm busy with, some courses that other courses that I'm also involved in. I've got a journal that's positioned for leaders who wants to make their diversity and inclusion improve on that in the organization. Yeah, so a whole bunch of stuff. And I would love to hear from you if you've got any more questions. Culture is a very interesting and complex topic, and I would love to discuss it more with anyone who's interested. Sounds great. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, Stelios. All the best. Thanks, everyone. So thanks for being here with us today. Make sure to check out thedatascientist.com for more content around technology, AI, and blockchain. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit thedatascientist.com for more content about data science, AI, and blockchain.